call meeting to order. Welcome to the Queen Anne's County Commissioner's meeting. This is a public meeting that is being aired live on our local cable tele television station, QAC-TV. These media broadcasts provide county citizens an opportunity to watch and review our scheduled public sessions. In addition to our live audience this evening, we will provide remote options for citizens to watch and participate in county commissioners' meetings. Citizens may watch our meeting live on our QAC website, www.qac.org live, or on QAC TV's television channel, Atlantic Broadband Channel 7 and High Definition Channel 507. Citizens can participate by joining the live Zoom meeting by going to www.qac.org public comment. Citizens may also email comments to publiccomments.qac.org. Comments received will be read during the press and public comment period on this evening's agenda. We acknowledge your participation and by attending, your, you acknowledge that this session is both recorded and aired. Press and public comments will be taken and limited to three minutes. If you care to speak, please sign the sheet <coughs> on the informational table in the lobby. Comments longer than three minutes can be submitted in writing to the county commissioners. We will now stand and be led by the Pledge of Allegiance by Com Commission President Chris Corcorino. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. If you could please remain standing. Uh, county lost a, uh, a great citizen. So a moment of silence for William Malaski. Thank you. We just had a closed session under um, general provision article 3-305 to discuss boards and commissions. Somebody sign up, you mean? I'm going to make a motion that to appoint Shelley Gross Wade to the Economic Development Commission for a term of three years beginning January 1, 2022 and ending December 31st, 2024. Second. Okay, we've got a motion second. Any discussion? All those in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? All right, motion carries 5-0. The agenda for today's meeting of February the 8th and the regular and closed session meetings for February 25th have been uh, circulated for your review. Are there any additions, corrections? No. Motion to approve the agenda and minutes as submitted. Second. All right. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Motion carries 5-0. Thank you for taking the time to express your views to the county commissioners. Comments are limited to three minutes in length. Commission, comments longer than three minutes may be submitted in writing. The commissioners respect your desire and rights to convey your vision freely. When you come forward, please speak clearly in the microphone standing. State your name, your address, topic of interest. In keeping with the dignity of the office, we ask that all views be expressed in respectful and civil manner. The commissioners respect your desire and right to convey your message freely. We ask as a courtesy to the board and our citizens that you respect the commission's request to refrain from name, naming citizens, name calling when offering critique. And also, in case everyone surely can tell that this isn't Todd Mon. No. <laughs> Todd Mon is on vacation, well-deserved vacation, and 
Thank God for Margie. She's sitting in and running the, running the show for us tonight. So Things are already running smoother. Absolutely. <laughs> Todd, be afraid. All right, first, um, Sarah Collins, back to the mic. My name is Sarah Collins. Uh, my address is 25320 West Road. Speak up just a little can bit. Make sure they get the mic up a little. Bruce, can you bring that up, Tom? Scared to touch that. <laughs> it's all right. Go ahead. It's yeah, yeah. There you go. Hi, everyone. My name is Sarah Collins. My address is 25320 West Road. And my topic I'm talking about tonight is animal services. Um, I've already written something that I will share um, in writing, email after this, because I'm sure I'll talk over three minutes. But, um, hold on one second. All right, so, good evening, everyone. I'm Sarah Collins. I'm a student of Washington College and a former employee of Ramon Valtoro. On January 28th, I wrote publicly about my experiences with Ramon in hopes of making residents of Queen Anne's County aware of the ongoing issues. I'm speaking before you today to advocate for the staff at Queen Anne's County Animal Services and all employees that could be affected by the negligence and abuse of power. This investigation opened up by Queen Anne's County government last week is a step in the right direction. However, there are several issues that must be addressed. Ramon's tenure as Chief of Animal Services revealed grave systematic problems within the Human Resources Department of Queen Anne's County and the Board of County Commissioners. In the course of just nine months, at least a dozen Queen Anne's QACAS employees went to HR. These employees spoke for better working conditions for themselves and living conditions for the animals. Despite any potential backlash revealing these abuses could have brought. The tragically long list of concerns included issues with finances such as unpaid bills, shortages of necessary supplies, discrimination and harassment in the workplace, Ramon's inappropriate sexual relations with former employees and rescue partners, misuse of county funds and employee retention. The problems pointed to Ramon's deeply unethical management practices that jeopardized the wellness and safety of staff and animals alike. Despite the number and seriousness of the complaints, the staff of Queen Anne's County Animal Services did not receive the help or accountability they deserved. The county failed to acknowledge 95% of the problems at a county institution, the cornerstone for saving animals in Queen Anne's County. One step that the county did take was sending Ms. Connie Tolson from the Department of Public Works to help improve the financial situation. However, this action had little effect on Mr. Villatoro's business conduct. To this day, the shelter still faces debts, faces debts of numerous unpaid bills that have gone months overdue, namely to, namely to veterinary offices like Town & Country Vet, Spaynow, and High Street Veterinary Practice, along with companies like Hills Science Diet. Despite the potential risks staff members had taken by going to HR, they did so to maintain the moral principles of their work. Every single complaint that each employee shared in their HR meeting with Beverly Churchill was shared with Ramon immediately. To call it a simple lack of confidentiality is an understatement. I'm sure you can imagine what it would be like to have a staff member who went to HR talk about unprofessional. Go ahead. Start speaking until the two minute and 30 No, she can go ahead. Go ahead. Thank you. To call it a simple lack of confidentiality is an understatement. I'm sure you can imagine what it would be like for a staff member who went to HR to talk about unprofessional and unethical workplace conduct only to have your identity revealed to the very person who was the perpetuator of this behavior. Consequently, there was only further discrimination at the shelter. 
I went to Mrs. Churchill on June 10th, 2021. After the meeting, every detail I told Beverly made its way directly to Ramon. Not only was I punished by Ramon for going to HR, but I was also made into an example for other employees. He bragged about finding everything I said in confidence finding out everything I said in confidence to my coworkers. Some of my coworkers, well aware of how my complaints had been dismissed and my confidentiality breached, were now scared to speak up. This pattern of behaviors points to a significant problem internally with Queen Anne's County's Human Resources Department. That is the need. That is needs to be acknowledged and corrected. I fear that animal services might not be the only department that has faced similar issues with HR. An action must be taken to re redress HR's failure to follow the integrity of their office and Queen Anne's County government as a whole. The Human Resources Department is not only to blame for the situation with Queen Anne's County Animal Services, the County Commissioners also bear some responsibility for this. Steve Wilson, Mr. Steve Wilson has leaked the private information from HR to Ramon. Furthermore, Mr. Wilson claim, has been claiming to members of the public that he was unaware of any issues with Queen Anne's County Animal Services and had never been notified of of employees going to HR or received the letter that I sent all five county commissioners on June 25, 2021. This could not be further from the truth. The day I sent my letter over email, Steve brought it to Queen Anne's to Animal Services to show Ramon and the other staff members himself. Steve also continuously claimed he was unaware that there had been any problems with Ramon, and then attempted to inform me that I was the only staff member of QACAS who filed complaints to HR. After my experience with Mr. Valatora at work, I now faced Mr. Wilson's un unwillingness to take responsibility or rectify the abuses that occurred at Queen Anne's County Animal Services. I ask that Mr. Wilson accept responsibility for dismissing these concerns and be held accountable for his actions along with the other Queen Anne's, Queen Anne's County Commissioners. The actions of Mr. Villatoro are great, but the response of our local leadership points to a systematic failure. While animal services was affected, it is unclear how many other departments have already or will be impacted by the same moral and professional principles. Our employees at the shelter deserve better than to be degraded in the workplace than to be than unheard by their elected representatives. The animals that we serve remain victims of the abuse, the remain victims in the crossfire of negligence and abuse of power. I pray that Mr. Villatoro is removed from his position after the investigation concludes, but there also needs to be more to be done. Change needs to happen, and until it does, we cannot let up. Thank you. Inga Peters. Good evening. Good How evening. are you doing? Uh, my name is Inga Peters. I reside at 205 Bay City Road, Stevensville. I'm president of Saving Future Feral Cats. Um, your vote tonight on the bill is very important to the community and our organization. I have been trapping, neutering, and returning cats for quite a few years in Queen Anne's County, and I can personally tell you that the impact that it does makes a big difference. I could take you to several locations in Queen Anne's County where there were as many as 50 cats, maybe 100 cats, on a farm that we trapped, spayed, neutered, <coughs> and returned and now there are no kittens and including the fact that the cats have reduced themselves to just a few cats. Um, there was a colony behind Friedel Lumber uh, where there was at least 30 cats. Go out there behind Friedel Lumber, there's no cats. The cats that are left, they are moved and they went to a trailer where somebody feeds them. We take food to him and he feeds them. Um, we see that it reduces the numbers that go into the shelter. Um, you know, they um, 
farms, a lot of the farms, they'll have the cats, the kittens, and they don't know what to do with it because they keep multiplying and they don't have the equipment to trap them. They don't have the money and the funds to spay and neuter them, so guess what? They get picked up, trapped, and taken to the shelter, and it overloads the shelter. It also um, causes a lot of stress on the staff. Um, it's been proven that there's a high suicide rate amongst um, animal caretakers, and a lot of it, I believe, is because of euthanasia and unnecessary euthanasia. Many of these cats, they're out there, they've been out there, they've been killing birds, they've been killing little animals. Why not stop what they're doing? Why not stop them from producing? A cat can have um, 10 kittens, can have up to um, you know, that amount, but usually the outside they have four kittens and usually two or three survive. Then those kittens have kittens. Very quickly, it can turn to 100 cats. We don't want to get like Australia where all of a sudden there's such a big issue that we're spending a ton of money from the county and our shelter's overloaded. It just doesn't make any sense. Um, and these studies that everybody throws out about the birds and the wildlife and um, you know, messing up the ecosystem, well, we want to stop that. And that's what we want to stop. We want to stop them from get, you know, eating the birds and the animals. And I, I really encourage you to vote for this bill um, for the cats, for the people that feed them, for the cats, for the people that trap them and take care of them, and mostly for our county shelter. I thank you for listening to me, and please vote for this bill. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Victoria Rosati. Good evening. I'm Victoria Rosati, Graceville, Maryland. Uh, a Queen Anne's County resident and the president of the board of directors of the Animal Welfare League of Queen Anne's County. Two years ago, members of our organization stood before you to express our disdain at the way the commissioners handled the cancellation of AWL's contract to provide much needed oversight and care for the homeless animals in the county. Our biggest fear in the county retaking control of the welfare of homeless animals was that the lack of oversight would result in an increase of euthanasia and a lack of accountability. We were assured by this panel that that would not be the case. Sadly, it would appear that these fears have become reality and are worse than we imagined. The recent revelation that multiple employees of the county shelter voiced their concerns of a toxic work environment and unnecessary euthanasia to both Queen Anne's County Human Resources and the commissioners and were ignored is disheartening. I'm here to support the young employees, for many of whom this is their first experience in a work environment. They should be heard and supported. Why has the Director of Animal Services continued to be protected despite numerous warnings and reports from employees? And why was AWL disregarded when we brought many of the same concerns to the attention of this panel? Further, I'm here for the countless animals unnecessarily euthanized under the Director's orders. Animals who would still be around if there was any oversight whatsoever. Animals like Scamp, a cat who was thriving in her foster home but shut down when in the shelter, Despite the foster being willing to take Scamp back, the pound instead adopted out her kittens and then killed her. As recently as January 22nd of this year, Commissioner Steve Wilson was quoted in the Record Observer as saying, as the commissioner most involved with the county animal shelter, this operation is well run, well funded, with a good adoption rate and low euthanasia rate. This assertion was made despite the knowledge that the shelter was not in fact being well run or experiencing high adoption rates or low euthanasia. 
Based on the reports out of the shelter, as well as employee statements, it would seem that nothing in the above statement except the well-funded part is true. When the county took control of the shelter, they also allocated hundreds of thousands of extra taxpayer dollars to the newly created animal services. It's time those funds are used to actually better the conditions for animals in the county facility, reduce euthanasia rates, and create a pleasant and educational working environment for those individuals choosing to spend their time helping animals. That cannot happen under the current director. I implore you to correct the wrongs of the last two years and find a better director. I also insist that there be some sort of oversight and accountability so that the conditions at the shelter and the experiences of those who work there are heard and not silenced. Let's work together to create legislation that will assist with this. Legislation that prevents the shelter from euthanizing animals when there is a foster or a rescue willing to take that animal. The TNR legislation is a great start, but we need to ensure there is someone at the helm who has the animal's best interest at heart. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Is there anybody online? Is there anybody else in the room who would like to speak? That's all we have on our list. All right, we're going to close press and public comment. I'm going to ask Mr. Karpinski and Beverly, could you come up here? So we, obviously we're aware of you know, the posts that have been on social media and it's, it's not that they have been ignored by the commissioners. Um, we have been reading them and following up. Um, we can engage in some of those discussions on social media as it involves personnel matters. And so that is a, uh, a topic that is uh, a, lot, a lot of it is, is confidential. Um, but I do want to sort of address some of the issues and hopefully clear some of the air because I think there is some misconceptions and obviously there is, there is work that can be done to be better and that's something that we constantly strive for. Um, we, we did obviously get the email in June. It was a Friday, June 25th. Um, we immediately tasked County Administrator Mon with investigating that. Um, within two days he reached out to the person who sent the email to us and set up a meeting. The meeting occurred, as far as I know, and then Mr. Mon took what he learned from that meeting and he created uh, some action items, both some long-term goals and short-term goals. Um, and those things were put into place. Um, we didn't hear anything further um, about that at that time um, until the more recent email uh, social media posting. The social media posting obviously had a lot more, um, I'll say sort of, salacious allegations in there that did not appear in the June 25th meeting, uh, the June 25th um, email or in the meeting. Had those issues been raised in there, that would have raised us to a whole other level of investigation at that time. Um, however, in, in light of that social media posting, um, we did take immediate action to get uh, Mr. Kevin Karpinski, who um, is an attorney, he specializes in employment law. He represents a lot of counties and agencies throughout Maryland. Um, he's a specialist in this. And so when there are issues um, of that level, um, he's someone that we turn to for his expertise to conduct an investigation into this so that the commissioners can be better aware of what's going on. Um, I think it's important to point out that when, eight, when issues are raised with HR, um, the employment issues, they go to HR. They don't go to the county commissioners, right? HR is the staff that is trained in order to deal with complying with internal procedures, uh, state and federal laws that apply to employment issues. And so that's where it goes. Seldom do those issues actually come up to the county commissioner level. They're usually addressed in HR. We don't hear anything of them. And, and I think Mr. Karpinski will say, that is the best practice, and this is what other counties and agencies do. 
Um, so we were not aware uh, of some of the things that we were found out in this in this um, post. I can't comment on what's true, what's not true. Obviously, this is an investigation that's going on with confidential information. Um, it is something that we take seriously. It is something that we have looked into. Um, as far as uh, some of the operational issues um, that have been raised about the animal shelter, those are things I can speak to more. Um, we took a number of steps um, since taking over um, the animal services. Um, if you remember, the former uh, Animal Welfare League operation that was absorbed into the county, that started around March of 2020, and we all know what happened a few weeks later is when the COVID shutdown start. Um, and it, it, it has not been a perfect transition, um, and we knew that, right? That when you're, when you're absorbing an agency in the county, there's gonna be some things that need to be addressed along the way. Um, but we have done a number of things to make things better. By bringing those employees onto the county government's uh, payroll, they now are entitled to some of the benefits that the county employees have that assist with retention and recruitment of qualified people to work there. Um, they have recently received a raise, to, and again, to assist with retention and recruitment of the employees. Um, as far as the issue raised with euthanizing animals, um, there are some euthanizations that occur uh, at the direction of a vet because of the animal's health, and, and I think people understand that. Uh, there were other concerns that were raised with euthanization, um, and we have an independent citizen who is a level above review, above Mr. Villator now, who, who has to have a final say on those other types of euthanizations. Um, that was another level of checks and balances that we have instituted. Uh, for the feral cats, as you just heard uh, from Ms. Peters, um, we have the, the trap neuter release uh, ordinance that we've been working on for a while. Uh, we reached out and partnered with uh, the stakeholders in the animal community to get input from them on how best do we address some of these things. And we reach out to the those people in the animal community frequently to try to get input on how we do. I think this is a pretty good ordinance. We had the hearing on it at the last meeting. There'll be a vote today. I'm hoping that it passes. I know I'm voting um, in favor of it. That will have a significant effect on the euthanization of feral cats. Um, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to us having that. The county has also, uh, and not in response to what has just occurred on social media recently, but prior to this, we actually had assigned senior county leadership liaison to animal services to help with developing more procedures, guidelines for things like ordering supplies, integration into county processes and procedures, streamlining daily operations, um, and improvements with handling accounts receivable and the budget. Um, it's a process, and uh, we are working still to get that in. Um, any past due bills that we have been made aware of, those are all in line and gonna be paid. Those bills are backed by the full faith and credit of Queen's County, we will, they're taken care of. Um, I think some of the issues that have been raised more recently in the social media that were raised back in June, um, they, have been, they have been addressed, and I don't think everybody knows, if you're not involved with what we're doing behind the scenes and what the county's changes are at animal services, you may not be aware of all of them. Um, and I can understand why there would be some sort of um, confusion about looking like nothing's done. When we do operational things in all the departments, uh, we try our best to make sure all the departments are op operating as best as they can. But we do it without fanfare. So when we're making these types of changes to operational procedures, we're not doing press releases about it and we're not really talking about them. So the public maybe doesn't see the changes that are occurring. This is not to say that any of the departments are perfect. I mean, I think 
you know, they're all doing a great job, so not, not a knock on any department heads over here, but we can always find room for, for improvement. And so we encourage the public to reach out to us and to let us know uh, where are there are things that we can do a better job on. Um, and we're grateful that we did have that uh, outreach that occurred in June so we could look into things and work harder on it. Um, We've uh, improved technology improvements at Animal Services. We've instituted a rabies vaccination program for the appropriate staff members. Uh, we have capital improvements for new animal services vehicle. We have a new animal behavioral list that is just starting. Um, those are just a couple of the things. Um, in 2021, the facility had a 9% decrease, uh, or sorry, increase in adoption rates. Uh, and there was a 6.2% increase in the foster program. So things um, are getting better and we will continue to do that. Uh, so I, I want everybody to know that we take the concerns seriously. Um, I don't think that all of the things that may be read on social media <coughs> are fully substantiated. Uh, and we've had an independent investigation into that. Um, so I'm saying that with a degree of confidence uh, based on that. I'm gonna ask Mr. Karpinski, if you could just speak to sort of um, the process with HR, um, the level review, and sort of what, what the best practices are, in your opinion, are is the county complying with what other agencies similar to ours are? Sure. Th th thank you, uh, Commissioner sure. President. So my name is Kevin Karpinski. For those who don't know me, um, I'm the managing partner of Karpinski, Cornbrooks, and Carper, a firm in Baltimore. Uh, for the last 28 years, I've represented uh, counties and municipalities. I think I've represented every county in the state of Maryland with the exception of one and uh, a significant number of municipalities in discrimination cases. And I am someone who speaks for the Academy for Excellence in Local Government on employment-related issues. So just speaking globally about best practices, um, when com complaints or concerns are brought into human resources or to the county administrator or to some other department, you know, they really are, they fall into two categories. And one is uh, sort of operational concerns about how something is being done. And then there are others that are, uh, are more human resources uh, issues in terms of discrimination, harassment, or retaliation. Uh, someone feels that they didn't get correct pay, those types of issues. And those would be handled by uh, human resources. As you've correctly pointed out, those are not commissioner level issues. Those are decisions that are made at a staff level, um, and there are good reasons for that. Uh, Queen Anne's County hires highly trained individuals to go ahead and handle things that are of a specialty. Human resources is a specialty. Uh, you know, public works is a specialty. You hire people that have spent their educational career and their vocational career going ahead and becoming experts in those areas. So the best practice and the practice that is followed throughout the entire state is that those are staff level decisions and they're, they're done at a staff level. Um, and that's exactly how it was handled in this particular instance. So that's sort of the, the, sort of the global view. Uh, I have started an investigation and it is clear that there were some concerns raised in June. Um, they were more operational in nature. Uh, by example, bills weren't being paid on time, trouble ordering supplies, uh, euthanasia was an issue. Uh, there were other issues that were sort of operational in, in nature. Um, they were given to Mr. Mon to do, to look at. Uh, and as uh, 
Commissioner Corcorino has pointed out, there were operational changes made. Um, recently, uh, there were obviously additional allegations that were not operational in nature. They were more in the, in the true sense of a human resources issue. Uh, where it was questions of workplace harassment, workplace treatment, those, those types of issues. At that juncture, I was retained to get involved. Now, if it were a human resource issue, normally I would have been involved in the front end, but it, that was not really what was raised in June. So I have come in. I have started to do interviews um, for, I've interviewed, um, so far, 13 individuals. Uh, I've interviewed every sort of staff person. I haven't interviewed the vet yet or the new behavioralist, but everyone else in that building has been interviewed by me. Uh, I've interviewed uh, two former employees. Um, I'm, I've tried to schedule an interview of a former employee that's made complaints. I've not been successful in scheduling that interview. I have not gotten a return telephone call to go ahead and um, to uh, finish that. The investigation, though, as I've been directed to do it, is twofold, which is identify whether we have any sort of issues of discrimination, harassment, retaliation, workplace issues that would give rise to a claim under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. That's the traditional HR issues that you would see, and I will address that. I will provide the Commission with a report on that issue. I always feel that it's my responsibility that when something like this happens, um, that also part of it is to come up with recommendations on operational issues. Uh, so the report that will be provided to the commission will have that as well. Um, I, when I interview people, I, I say, if you were the one sitting in front of the commissioners as an employee, how would you, what would you say to go ahead and make this work environment better? Um, and so I'll have recommendations to you on those issues as well. So it won't just be addressing the issues of the workplace in terms of harassment or discrimination. Uh, it will also give you a list of things that you can look at moving forward. I will tell you having my the interviews I have done so far, um, the employees there have seen improvements in a number of areas. Uh, supplies were an issue at one point. Um, the whole world's going through a supply shortage right now, so you know the reasons for that issue. Uh, it's not crystal clear, but it's improved, and there have been improvements in in other areas that you've alluded to, Commissioner. Uh, but there's always room for improvement, and I will be providing the commission with uh, recommendations about other areas that could be improved to make the animal shelter uh, more efficient. Uh, and uh, a better resource for the citizens of Queen Anne's County. Good. <clears throat> we have any other questions? Yeah, I do. Um, I told Ms. Collins that on the phone that I had not had, and to my best of my knowledge, no commissioner had had any complaint whatsoever from summer to current from HR or the county administrator. Is that, is that correct, Ms.? That's correct, because we typically handle them at our level, not to the county commissioners. We had had absolutely no, you have my personal word, and Mr. Karpinski and every commissioner here, 
to the best of my knowledge, and I can tell you about my own, nothing other than your letter, amen, that you contested, and then going on to speak of my communicating uh, HR complaints, uh, none of which happened. And I want to tell the public, we have been absolutely straightforward about this, and the staff have not said a single word to us, to missioners, as far as I know, of any complaint other than your letter. So, that's a fact. No, because when the employees voice the complaints, then we would take it to the director and to the county administrator from my office for, yeah. for review, and to the county attorney. Well, I think it's important for people to realize that, you know, unlike in private, private industry, employees that are, or that are employees of a municipality or a county under the state government article, their personnel records and their personnel actions are privileged. So until there is a need for someone to know about a particular personnel action, it's privileged. So, and that's why you're constrained, when you ask me, you're constrained in what you can talk about as, you know, action that's been taken against employees or, or you know, uh, you know, action or disciplinary action that's been taken because it's very clear that those, those communications, that employee has that protection under state law. And so it's, it's, it's important to respect that. It's, it's important to adhere to it and to make sure that that information is truly treated as confidential. How much longer do you figure this, the investigation will take before we get a? Uh, well, I mean, if I, if I can get, uh, I have really one, really two other people I need to interview. Um, again, I've, I've called them. I haven't gotten a return telephone call. Um, I'm prepared to go ahead and finish up by early next week as, as long as I can go ahead and, you know, get these interviews done and I'll get a report to you. Okay. Very good. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. And um, it goes out saying it, feel free to approach us, you know, with issues you have on operational things as the citizens that you see, reach out to us. If, if you're not seeing something, it doesn't mean something's not being done. We sort of take it and run with it and, and give it to the appropriate director head and say, you know, take care of this. Um, and it's usually everything is taken care of. That's sort of the, the process is how it works. So please do feel that you can continue to reach out to your commissioners with your concerns. Employees should feel that they can continue to reach out to HR. Um, I have every confidence in Beverly. Uh, I'm sorry, Ms. Collins, your view of it, but I've been county commissioner for three years. I think Beverly's fantastic. I have every confidence in her um, and her department. And um, if Mr. Karpinski had seen something wrong, um, he was gonna tell me. So thank you, Beverly, for, for your work. Thank you, Ms. Karpinski, thank you. Thank you. <coughs> okay, commissioners, the next item on your agenda is presentations, it's tab six. Item one, page one and it's emergency services update. Scott Haas. Commissioners, uh, we have a privilege to give you an update, our quarterly update. 
Uh, we're switching gears a little bit because the bulk of our updates have been communications in emergency medical services. I still brought Scott with me for emergency medical update, but Lori's gonna give you an update on our special operations division. And I kind of want to start by just kind of complimenting our staff. I'm very proud of our staff. Uh, Scott is going to highlight uh, what we've gone through COVID-wise since about December until early this month. Uh, we've had a lot of staffing issues, a lot of, a lot of providers, a lot of dispatchers getting sick. Uh, I think we've done a good job of managing it, but a lot of people stepped up to the plate to make sure we stayed in service. And I'm very proud of the staff for doing that. Uh, next update. Uh, Commissioner Jack Wilson got to see a little sneak peek of what our CAD's going to look like. Um, so our next update is really going to focus on technology and where technology is going. I'm going to turn the floor over to Lori and let Lori give you an update on our Special Operations Division. Good evening. And let me start by thanking you for acknowledging Mr. Molaski. I think anybody who's been in this county for any amount of time knows what a wonderful asset he was. Yep. Um, and Very having, sad. having been without aging myself, having been one of his students, <laughs> um, he definitely is a memorable one. So I wanted to thank you for acknowledging that. So um, I'm Lori Morris, and I am the Assistant Chief of Special Operations for Emergency Services, and I'm here to give you an update on the Emergency Management Division. Um, Pull that ever closer to the mic. This yeah. I'm sorry. Soon. I'm getting old. I'm sorry. <laughs> getting, I don't project what? well. Getting old. <laughs> so as many of you may know, um, special operations played an intricate role in the COVID-19 response. Um, I'm happy to report that we have somewhat taken a support role over the last few months. Um, we ma did man the clinic, the clinics for um, vaccination. We manned the EOC and then manned the clinics for vaccination. But we were in back doing vaccinations from December of 2020 when they were first announced until the March, um, until about March of 2021. Um, it's where our primary, our primary staff um, was relocated. We coordinated a lot of um, assets that came throughout the state and federal government, including the FEMA strike teams that assisted us with that. Um, we managed a lot of resources and now we are looking at um, just managing their supply chains. Um, so there's a lot of things that are coming out through the federal government still, um, and we're requesting resources through MDEMS, which you may form formerly known as MEMA, um, and we're able to push supplies out through the health department. Um, we're also doing reimbursement through the CARES and, and the Stafford Act. Um, we were uh, took the lead on getting reimbursement for salaries, food and shelter for Haven Ministries, um, medical equipment, PPE, and then we've also done reimbursements for the health department there themselves. Additionally, um, we took over a lot of logistics roles that we wouldn't typically do. Um, so um, some would fall in our category. So we did receive, um, apply for and receive a number of grants. Um, the station 400 mezzanine, which is an additional storage um, storage space um, for station 400, so our primary headquarters. Um, with that addition, we also did decrease the response times of that unit. While marginal, um, it did give them another sense of egress to the units um, that was quicker than what they were um, doing before. 
We also applied for and received a grant for a generator, um, and that's just to harden our facilities through our mitigation grant. Um, and then we also did um, helped with some of the renovations at the headquarters recently. Most recently, we renovated um, the kitchen that is there for our 24-hour employees. Um, and that had not seen a freshen up since, since 2000. Just, yeah, I'm 99, 2000. So it's been a few years since since that building's been updated. Um, we also assisted with the warehouse. Um, the warehouse is now complete. It is a joint effort between us and the Department of Health, um, and it is staffed by one part-time employee. And we had, we are um, assisting him because of the overload of work that has been um, tasked his way with getting a lot of the organization done um, in that space. We also dropped back to some of our more traditional emergency management roles. So one of the things we're most proud of is our community response team. Um, this is a team that is, um, it's a curriculum that is pushed by FEMA and it's to teach our citizens to be their first first responders. So um, it is uh, basic first aid, maybe some cribbing, what to do in a, in a natural disaster on how to take care of themselves until the government can get to them. Um, we most recently completed the Queen Anne's County High School CERT program through, the, um, through their Homeland Security program, and they completed in January of 2022. Um, we also are in talks with Ken Island High School to start that program back up again and do both high schools for the Homeland Security program, and that would start in 22 with the graduation of 2023. Um, we have recently scheduled Symphony Village. Um, they have been phenomenal CERT members for the last 10 years. Um, and they have new members that need to be trained. So we're gonna be holding a class there for them. Parole and probation is also requested. And then we're gonna be doing our, our outreach. So anybody who's interested can go on our website and apply for, and that has been opened um, for a few months now. It, it stays open, but with COVID, we've had to cut it, shut everything in person. How many did you have to the uh, CERT program? I'm sorry? How many did you have at Queen Anne Stewart? You know, I believe that's the entire class, so I'm going to go 14-ish um, students, but it's part of their curriculum in the Homeland Security. Gotcha. Um, so it's not offered outside of that? as, as a, cause I know when So that you can take it through the community. Okay, so, you, yeah, so okay. somebody who is interested. We have been reaching out to a lot of um, community organizations, um, like homeowners um, organizations to see if there's interest. We've had a couple. I remember when Weather Joe was doing it and you were doing a lot of the community stuff with it, so. We're trying to get back to that. Uh, yeah, it's, COVID obviously put a kibosh to a lot of that, so I get it. Um, and staithing. We've had a lot of staffing changes. Um, we love Joe. He's but I know it was well received when they were doing it, but though. Yes, so, yeah. yes it Utah was very Joe. popular. Yes. Yeah, Weather Joe is now Utah He's Joe. He's in Utah, yeah. Oh, Utah, got He's it. doing great. I'll always know him as Weather Joe. So. That's right. Um, so that program has been very popular, and, um, and we now have somebody else in his position that has been pushing that quite a bit. So as soon as we can get out, we thought we were going to be able to, and then we were pulled back in. So um, I think we start back up next month with some of the stuff. We were trying to be cautious in scheduling anything because we didn't want to cancel anything. Are you guys going to do that, push that out through all the media venues so to get it out for people to? That'll be pushed out through social media, and there's always a link on our website okay. that they can go up. So that will send, um, you put your information in, that will send us your information, and we will be reaching out on when the next class so as soon as we know that something's scheduled, so the spring summer class that I mentioned, as soon as we have that on the books on when it's gonna be scheduled, we'll be pushing that out. 
um, to any of those members or any of those interested parties. Um, we also um, play a major role in the coordination of any of the events that happen in Queen Anne's County. These are the two notable ones. The 4th of July celebration was held on Sunday, July 4th, in which we, uh, what emergency management does there is they coordinate all the ally, allied agencies. So we bring all the first responders together, police, fire, EMS, um, to do a coordinated response. Um, we also do the same thing for the 10K across the Bay or the Bay Bridge run this past year. As you all know, it was held on October 31st um, and had about 12,000 participants. Additionally, it's a little later than what I thought, but um, there's several projects for work that we have been working on behind the scenes, um, and these are more of our planning long-term process. Um, so we have been working with the Cloverfields community and DPW um, on their drainage project. There was a website that was launched over the last year, um, uh, more of an education public outreach on, on the flooding that they're seeing in that community. We did apply for a grant through FEMA, and that was actually today I got notification that it was pushed to from MEMA, MDEM, to FEMA for, so it passed all the technical review, which isn't a guarantee that we'll get the funding, but we've passed to the next step. Sure. So I think we are gonna hear something sometime in the fall, and that's a scoping project, and the purpose of that is to hire a consultant to tell us what exactly needs to be done in that community um, so we can get the most bang for our buck. We've also reinitiated the active assailant planning. Um, so this is something that we had done prior to COVID that was completely shut down, but we have been working with all of our stakeholders, including the sheriff's office and local police, um, other local police agencies, so that we can have a, cl a clear operating picture when it comes to any kind of mass casualty, but specific to any kind of um, active assailant. We recently, during COVID, completed our continuity of operations. That's a county plan. Um, and also the nuisance flooding plan that was an annex to our hazardous mitigation plan that if you remember, we were here in 2018-ish to get approved. Some of the projects that we're gonna be working on um, over the next few months are an update to our emergency operation plan and also commodity flow, which is a hazardous materials study. If anybody has any questions? The only thing that I'll add to Lori's update is her division has, over the last two years, has truly been a yo-yo. And every <laughs> time they take one step forward, they've had to take two steps backwards because their whole division has been totally committed to COVID. And because of that, uh, you are doing the backstroke and barely keeping your head above water, but your, your group is doing an excellent job getting us back on track in the two-year period that we've been committed to the COVID response. A lot of positions have changed, and she has almost had to start at ground zero with a lot of these projects and, and starting over. And uh, the group's doing an excellent job and very proud of what you've done COVID-wise and very proud of what you're doing trying to get us back on track. We're attempting. Scott. All right. Good evening. Thanks for having us. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about EMS and uh, try not to overwhelm you at once. I promised you I'd be back uh, in November to follow up on some things that I, I talked like to you then. It was like a threat. Mm -hmm. and, uh, <laughs> I don't want to let you down. So uh, year-end report uh, for EMS, just a, a little fun fact. 
2021, we ended up with 8,091 EMS responses throughout the county that uh, led to 3,907 transports. That's uh, 639 more uh, calls for service than 2019 and 961 more calls for service than 2020. Uh, and with that, you'll hear me talking just a little bit that our high acuity calls are the highest ever. So two uh, records we've set is the highest amount of EMS calls in Queen Anne's County history since we've been recording EMS calls and number two, the highest amount of transports. Also, just because we didn't transport did not mean we didn't treat. There are a lot of calls, as you all are, uh, have been made aware painfully by my presentations, of <laughs> diabetic emergencies, uh, uh, asthma attacks, stuff like that, that we medicate patients decide to continue staying at home. We also did that with the COVID uh, responses. Sometimes we were able to uh, mitigate those at home and stop, stop those patients from overloading the ER unnecessarily. We never deny transport, but sometimes we can make them feel better at home and, and that's where they can continue their healing process. So it's been a busy time with all these challenges. And I included a graph, I'm not gonna bore you from school with graphs, but I just wanted you to see the difference in our call volume. The one, um, entity to this that I wanted to remind you of at the beginning of the year last year I said man our call volume is really down at the beginning of 2020 for the first quarter and that's because people weren't calling 911 over the fear of going to the hospital with COVID and we can't prove it but there's some thought across the nation from other EMS chiefs that maybe that's because that's why our higher acuity calls are now because many things weren't caught early beginning of last year, cardiac disease, heart disease, blood pressure, et cetera, et cetera, and it's leading to some more of the major difficulties we're seeing today. Uh, I want to thank you. We took delivery of the Zoll budget, uh, the new Zoll monitors that you approved in our, our budget. They're on, on all of our frontline units, and we are the only department in the state of Maryland that has that technology for traumatic brain injury and for the higher readings when we're uh, assisting ventilations or having patients on our ventilators. So once again, we are leading the state with that. We've added some AEDs to the fleet that we're still continuing with our AED build out. And with that, I know uh, Commissioner Jack Wilson, Commissioner Steve Wilson, also I believe Commissioner Duminell, you were asking, we are adding the AEDs to the senior uh, living facilities. So now every floor of the senior living facilities will uh, in, in a short time have an AED that'll be accessible to their, um, to their uh, occupants. And we're proud of that. We're gonna help them with some training with those. The director uh, led to it, but I wanna give you the down and dirty. COVID hit us hard. Not only were we running lots of calls between December and January when this variant hit, our staff started going through it like wildfire. And there were several days where I had five and six vacancies that we had to backfill with overtime. So I have been as diligent as possible with my budget, but I'm not going to pretend that I am right on the landing zone. I'm a little bit to the right of it right now, but we had to keep those trucks on the, on the road too to serve and I want to publicly thank all the staff in the Emergency Medical Service Division because there were many that rose above and beyond spending many hours here providing care versus going home to their family and I can't thank the staff enough. Uh, so that caused a lot of backfilling. Uh, our high acuity calls as I said were up and as much as possible we've continued our training and I put in there because we have to train like people's lives are put on it and that's because they do. So some of our training that's upcoming is going to be uh, pretty intense for our crew members, but we do it so we better serve the public. Uh, in the upcoming, hopefully before the end of this fiscal year, we'll take delivery of that uh, new supervisor vehicle that you approved. 
were in the same state as everybody else, awaiting the building and the delivery of chassis because of some computer chip that apparently is the, the heart of the system. So we are in that same boat, and I intend on keeping you very clear of the progress of that in case we do not deliver it on the, before uh, June 30th. Uh, we know summer's coming, our traffic's coming, our, in, our increased call volumes always during the summer, so we're getting ready for that. And we're going to continue to be the best EMS service possible. But of course, I come to you because I want help. So I'm going to tell you what I need, but then I'm going to show you some good olive branch that I'm going to extend to you with hopefully uh, some ways of some increasing. This guy should be in sales. You know, I've learned from the five best. They only do. <laughs> so um, I, I obviously talked to you about the COVID operating expense or overtime. I want to keep services as they are, so I'm doing our best to manage that. But uh, we, you've heard about our, our assistance with the retirement, and that is my do or die. Please keep that on the front line as you get the numbers from the, from the state of Maryland. That retirement is crucial in retain, recruitment and retention of our staff. And uh, at this very moment, I am fully staffed with four new faces in our uh, academy going through right now. They just started last week in their orientation, and they'll be hitting the streets in a few weeks for their rookie book. But with that, very glad I'm fully staffed. I still have some members out on very serious uh, injuries. I don't know if they're going to come back or not. So just keep that in mind. Um, I, I talked to you last year that I'd be coming to you, and you will see it appear in the budget. I am requesting for a new station to be opened. Twofold reason, our call volume. It's going to be in the southern part of the county. Our response times, getting patient side care in an immediate fashion, but also to keep in mind that when those units start emptying during the day, we have to start doing the whole domino shuffle of moving units down. And uh, I know that we've had some meetings about where to house them and stuff like that, so I'm gonna put that in there, as well as a transport unit and our part-time logistics person moving full-time. But here it is. Uh, Commissioner Jack Wilson's very, been very involved with MAKO as, as far as many of you, so there's two things I wanna bring to your attention. Uh, we were able to adopt into a Medicaid uh, assistance uh, with the state of Maryland. There were some bills that passed on the MIMS level that usually we had a very low flat rate for every Medicaid patient we transport. This bill has passed and we are in the process with the county finance office of supplying numbers and reports to this uh, agency in the state and to MIMS, Maryland Institute of Emergency Medical Services. And with this, our Medicaid billing is going to increase by several hundred dollars for every Medicaid patient, which is going to be around an $800,000 increase to the county for our transports of Medicaid patients a year, which we didn't have before. Part two of that is one of uh, MAKO's four <coughs> objectives was to increase EMS billing for services. Right now, we're a transport. We can only bill when we transport. So these high acuity patients that we treat at home, that we do all these procedures in their home, even in a cardiac arrest where we go through the whole process but we don't transport the patient, we can't bill for those services. So is there is a bill going to legislation and hopefully that will pass. It was uh, testified on today, Senate Bill 295. Yes. So Senate Bill 295, if that passes, we're going to be able to bill for our procedures and what we do to the patient. And that's why we train like our lives depend on it, because now our narratives, everything we do will be a billable uh, possibility. And that will increase the revenue uh, to the county. So even though I'm coming, Skip, yes, sir. Well, just to highlight that a little bit further, take it a little further. Um, you know, for years we've heard how the volunteer, it's this stemmed from volunteer fire departments, uh, ambulance services, because for that reason, they went out and they treated on site, they couldn't bill. So for a volunteer fire department, that's, you know, 
that hurts them significantly. Mm -hmm. So this was developed through the volunteers, brought it forward, but it, it's also going to help our paid side as well. So hopefully it will help the volunteers maybe get back into some more transporting, treating, um, maybe help with some of the pressures that EMS is feeling with the calls and all. So it's a great bill for, for especially for the rural counties that have a lot of volunteer houses around. And yeah. it's going to be great for us. You just heard the revenue uptick we're going to get because um, right now that 800,000 we're eating basically so so and uh, the final thing is I just wanted to thank you and as I try to do publicly thank all the volunteers and career EMS professionals in this county um, I say it every time I come before you but it's the crew that I have working that makes this system work and I'm thankful for their dedicated time and effort and thank you for uh, letting me spend some time with you tonight any questions Yes, sir. Uh, here we go. <laughs> I knew. Yes, sir. <laughs> you knew it would be me. It's okay. So, the high acuity, are they mainly going down to shore or going across the bridge? So, it's, it's spread out. Our highest transport uh, in the last quarter was to actually Chester River Hospital. That's where we transported the moat. We had a lot of north calls, followed by Anne Arundel, Queen Anne ER, and why, then Easton. Why would that be, since that's not a cardiac? Because a lot of those patients were sick, but did not require the specialty centers of stress. And when I say the majority, it was only by a few transports. Okay. Uh, I just, I run the statistics and I can't juke them, so <laughs> that, that's the way it is. Um, we are running a lot of cardiac patients. We are running a lot of cardiac arrests. We are running a lot of STEMIs and strokes. And you're, so they're going principally north. Either Anne Arundel or Easton for the 50, cardiac cath center. 50-50? About that, yes, sir. Yeah. I actually saw one of our paramedic units heading north on 97. Uh, we transport to Baltimore quite often if aviation is not available to get to a specialty center or for something that needs a specialty center but isn't immediate where uh, aviation would be needed. So there's a lot of trauma patients. You know, complex fracture, we're going to carry them in the ambulance, we're going to give them pain medication, we're going to stabilize them, give them some fluid. They're going to get to a trauma center, but it's not the multiple system trauma where aviation would be needed and sometimes to be very honest with the group from points in our county ken island in the middle of the night north county we can be to christiana we can be at a specialty center quicker than the helicopter can get to us so we have to take that into factors when we're determining how we're going to transport patients how are the transport times so i mean unload times over in we during december and january they were terrible they have started to decrease we're averaging 12 to 18 minutes on normal days and when things are backed up on the western shore sometimes the longest wait i think we had was almost two hours so we hear that nationally that the covid numbers are beginning in hospitalizations to break down do you see that we do but one thing historically the shore is about two to three weeks behind everybody so it's a little slower for us to start seeing the effects so there's a current decline on the current covid numbers but we're not seeing that locally at this moment. We're probably gonna see it in the next week or two is where we'll start seeing the ease up on us a little bit. And the, the other thing to highlight what Scott's saying is our circle of available hospitals and available beds to us keeps widening and widening. So the frequency that you're seeing us go to other hospitals that isn't normal for us is becoming more and more frequent for us. And I thought that, I mean, that the, the, the moment I, I saw it, I realized, wow, things are getting bad. We can't even take a patient to Annapolis or we can't take a patient to Easton because there's just no beds that we're having to actually transport all the way north. You know, that, that, that speaks volumes when you talk about 
the hospitals and, and what's the term, uh, code red or code orange or whatever, where they're not receiving patients? Red alert, bypass, and yellow alert. Yes, sir. Are you having bed issues in either one of those places now? At today, no. It, it was a fairly, fairly well, late I day. I mean today, but in this block of time. It's gotten better. It's sir? gotten better, but it, we have had issues. Yes. Okay. Finding beds and finding available availability in the area hospitals. It's been difficult. Thank you, sir. Anybody else? The only last thing that I'll add uh, before, we, before we cut out is April is gonna be a very difficult month for us, particularly our dispatch center, because April is go live date for everything. So we're going live in April. The April 5th is the current date scheduled to go live with our new CAD system. Training starts within the next week or two, and all of our dispatchers have a lot of training to go through over the next 30 days. And our next gen 911 go live date is in the end of April. So within wow, one month, a lot happening. one month, we're gonna upgrade our technology more than we have since the year 2000. So it's exciting now, times, but it's also using, very nervous times for us. These vendors that, that were awarded these contracts, they're obviously gonna have staff and personnel uh, um, on site for these transitions? Is that yes. safe to say? Yes. Uh, what has been different is we're used to the one-on-one -on -one presentations and the one-on-one -on -one training, and it's a lot of been online training because of COVID again, um, which is, there's a, a little bit longer learning curve to learn everything than, than what we historically <laughs> are used to. But the sessions coming up are all live, they're in person. Um, the dispatchers will be happy when April is over with. How long do they stay? Obviously, you just don't flip a switch and go to the new system. How long does the old system stay active through the new system coming online? We're going to have to keep the old system at least for seven years because we're not paying to increase the data sets and import them into the new system. So anybody that wants us to trace a record back and we have to maintain our records for seven years, we'll have to go to the old system. So we're, we're taking like the last years of data and putting it into the new system, but we're not putting the full data set in. So the sheriff's office complete records management is on the old system. So we're gonna have to keep both going. We won't have to pay the service contracts on the old system, right. but, uh, but we'll have to keep it up and running just to, to refer back to the data that's in it. Gotcha. Good question though. All right, good stuff. Thank you very much. Thank Appreciate you. It. Thank you. And we'll be back in a little bit. Please thank the rank and file for us. You just did, because I'm sure they're all watching us. <laughs> okay, commissioners, the next item on the agenda is swearing in of the FEC officers. Billy Faust and Buddy Thomas. There's a couple of mugs coming up. Wow. I didn't say anything about how ugly you are. Sorry. <laughs> That's your job there, Chris. I got it. You guys want to move those chairs and just stand in front of the table? <laughs> that, that whole look. He just, absolutely uh, hates the that, attention. That whole look right there just kind of. That's happy. I'm 100% with you. All right, you ready? All right. Use your, use your name where I use my name. I, Chris Corcorino. I, Bill Faust. Um, do solemnly promise and swear. Do solemnly promise and swear that I will to the best of my ability that I will to the best of my ability 
fulfill the duties of the office to which I have been elected, fulfill the duties of the office to which I have been elected, and uphold the bylaws of the Queen Anne's County Fire and EMS Commission at the conclusion of my term of office. That's too much, Chris. I didn't have the little spaces in there. I messed them up. <laughs> Messes up. That really messes up. And uphold the bylaws of the Queens County Fire and EMS Commission. At the conclusion of my term of office. At the conclusion of my term of office. I will turn over to my successor. I will turn over to my successor. All records and properties. All records and properties. Entrusted to my care. Entrusted to my care. So help me God. So help me God. Congratulations. Thank you. Freddie, you're gonna have to do this again next Saturday. <laughs> I have a I have a little uh -oh. gift. Now these are challenge coins, and as you can see, this one's oversized. Um, a gentleman in Millington Fire Company made them, and they are uh, his name was Nevin is Nevin Steffi, and these are all the line of duty deaths for the Queens County uh, Fire and EMS. So all four of our line of duty deaths are on there. Mm. That's why they're oversized. Thank you, Bill. Yep. Uh -huh. Thank you, Billy. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Mm. Yep. Thank you. It's a great way to uh, honor them and remember them. Thank you. Good luck, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Buddy's already been in the fire. He's been to a meeting already. <laughs> I said you've already been in the fire. You've already been vice chair to a meeting. Okay, commissioners. The next item on our uh, agenda is uh, Patrick Hager, and it's the Board of Education Administrative Building Report Review. All right. How are you, sir? Good. How are you doing? Good. Go ahead. All right. Thank you. Um, I'm Patrick Hager. Um, as I was introduced, um, good evening. I'd like to thank you on behalf of the committee for the opportunity to, to serve on the committee for the Board of Education Administration Building Citizen Committee. It's uh, quite a tough uh, mouthful there, but um, <clears throat> so we had a great committee that was that was put together, and it was a, a pleasure to serve uh, with those folks. It was a nice, diverse group with uh, some you know, rich backgrounds and uh, brought a bunch of different perspectives um, to, to the conversations and, this, and the decisions that we made. Um, and that consisted of Janet Pauls, uh, Bill Stoops, Eugene Higgs, Paul Gunther, Kara Voigt, and Michael Whitehill. And as you're aware, the, the purpose of the committee was to evaluate the, the conditions of the existing Board of Education central office and provide a, a summary of, of recommendations and alternatives for uh, you know, future use of the building. Um, as part of that, <clears throat> the committee met on five different occasions, and we prepared uh, meeting, mo meeting minutes um, along with uh, the assistance from the, the county engineers. We appreciate their help and uh, their staff, um, and those minutes are attached to the, to the memorandum that we've provided. Um, as, as part of our uh, efforts, we toured the, the facility, and uh, we reviewed previous assessments and feasibility studies that were performed um, on behalf of the, the public school and uh, to evaluate the building. Our focus was not only on the future use of the building, but also the 13 acres, roughly 13 acres associated with that facility. 
um, is, is highlighted in the memo, <clears throat> some of the potential uses that we considered um, were continued educational or, or institutional use, uh, office or administration use, housing, and also we uh, considered adjacent property interests um, as far as potential use of the, of the 13 acres. Um, we had Kara Boyd on the, on the committee who was uh, you know, very familiar with the local zoning requirements, uh, certainly a huge asset um, in that regard as we, we discussed you know, the different zoning uh, considerations and, and what the property could be used for. Also, we met with uh, Mr. Jeremy Klein of uh, WGM Architecture and Interior. Uh, his group did the uh, feasibility study <coughs> on behalf of the Queen Anne's County um, Public School uh, when they evaluated the building to determine whether it was uh, appropriate for use as uh, continued uh, a Board of Education Administration or whether they should consider some other uh, um, opportunities. Um, as part of our final recommendations, um, our, our primary recommendation is that we, we think that the the site, the property, and the building are best suited for continued use for educational or institutional use. Um, the committee does feel that you know honoring the historical and educational significance of the building is important to is an important element to the community. Um, also, the Centerville High School Alumni, Alumni Association has a memorabilia there, and we think maintaining that as part of whatever the future use would be would be would be important to the to the community as well. A second alternative that we considered <clears throat> and explored was uh, the use of uh, the building for workforce housing or for elderly housing, uh, both of which is a primary need here in, in Queen Anne's County. Uh, we know that the county struggles, uh, experiences loss of trained teachers and first responders, um, oftentimes due to the lack of housing um, in, the, in the community and in, in the county itself. In terms of housing, I don't mean to interrupt you, just Sorry. a question. Um, so when looking at housing on this, um, my understanding is the building isn't ADA compliant as correct. a whole, correct? So there would have to be some major changes to yeah, bring and, it fully and absolutely, ADA compliant. Yeah, any you hit the nail on the head. I mean, any future use of the building for any purpose is going to require a substantial overhaul. Uh, the mechanical systems, uh, plumbing, ADA requirements, uh, as you cited. Um, so there is a tremendous amount of uh, capital that would need to go into um, improving the building or bringing it up to certain standards for any any use so any any of these uh you know, future uses uh, finding you know or budgeting is is, is going to be the primary factor um and and with that i mean that's really uh, kind of a quick summary overview of, of what our efforts were and um you know hopefully the the memorandum provides you know some better detail the meeting minutes and um with regard to the housing is we you know when the committee was um, actively working we did get an email from a, a developer who takes those types of properties turns them into workforce housing or elderly housing um, so certainly that would be you know from the private side and you know i'm not sure what financial mechanism they may have or resources they may have but um, certainly that takes it out of um, you know out of the board of education out of the public funding option and now this committee was tasked to just look at the the opportunities um, for potential use once the Board of Education vacates it. That's correct. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, we certainly didn't vet out, you know, every opportunity. Um, as far as, like, educational use, you know, we talked about, obviously, you know, Queen Anne's County Schools, um, OTEC training, which I forget there's actually a newer phrase for that. But, um, CTE. There you go. Thank you. Um, we kept uh, stumbling over that the whole time. Um, um, 
you know, or um, early education, um, different programs like that. Uh, but also, you know, some of the private schools, you know, may have an interest in that. But we certainly didn't go through, meet with all the different private schools, um, Board of Education, we didn't meet with them uh, specifically to kind of vet out any of those opportunities. Was there interest from some of the private schools? Yes, yes okay. sir. And I think that's probably because <clears throat> the configuration that you already have there makes more sense for them. With classroom yeah, it was, sizes. it was really interesting when we met with uh, Mr. Klein, um, the architect that did the feasibility study, and they do a spatial analysis where they look at, you know, the width of hallways, the size of rooms, things like that, and they, you know, they, you know, they come up with this factor, um, and that factor is, you know, based on the efficiency of use, and really, that was one of what I would appear to be one of the deciding factors for the Board of Education is that the building's not doesn't lend itself well to administrative type use, to office use, things like that, just due to the size of the rooms, right. um, hallways, things like that. You wouldn't obviously have a you know twelve foot hallway or something. In a, you know, in a business. Um, I never even thought about the private school private component. It's a good option. Yeah, the building needs a lot of work no matter what. We did, we did get approached by one outfit that was quite interested in thinking. Was Y, up, of it. y Upper School? Was it, yeah. so That's correct. Yeah. yeah, they probably are busting at the seams now with yeah, where they are. I would think they are, where they're at. And, it, and those folks had approached us about meeting um, with the committee, but we didn't feel it would be fair to meet with them and not give others you know, yeah opportunity to other people so certainly it would be a next phase to you know if that was a route to give everybody an opportunity to to come in and you know make their their, their uh, pitch you know, for that option. all right well thank you very much to you and the rest of the committee yeah. for all your work on that it's Absolutely. very helpful in helping guide us and the possible uses for that building okay thank you thank you appreciate the opportunity Commissioners, the next item on the agenda is Public Works. If you could turn to tab two, page one. The first item is the Circuit Court House Landscaping Enhancement. Good evening, Mr. Edgar. Good evening, Commissioners. Mr. Edgar. I don't know if you want to make a motion first or I can give you some background. Here. Uh, I move to award the Circuit Courthouse Landscape Enhancement Contract to Unity Landscape Design, Build Incorporated of Churchill, uh, Maryland, in the amount of $134,633.36, and authorize the Director of Public Works to issue the notice of award and execute the contract on behalf of the County Commissioners. Second. Okay, we've got a motion and a second from Commissioner Moran. Tell us about it. Well, thank you, commissioners, for reconsidering this project. I, I say reconsidering because you may recall that several months ago we had brought the project before you. Uh, at that time, we had received uh, one bid. It was from a local firm. Um, but uh, the concern was there was only one bid. And uh, you had sent back, said, well, let's, let's try again in a different time of the season when perhaps contractors may not be as, as busy and perhaps we might get a better price for this project. And, and indeed we did. So your, your insight there worked out very well. We, uh, we definitely proactively reached out to a lot of local vendors, encouraging their participation. Um, we had four contractors, uh, all, all ones that we've either worked with previously or have good references from and uh, received some very good bids. Um, we recommend, and just a little bit of background again on the the project itself involves completion of site work at the brand new circuit courthouse. So 
when the building was constructed, we knew that we would have to revisit areas of drainage on the adjacent health department property. There's largely inadequate drainage there. Uh, the addition of some ADA accessible steps on the side of the building for a more direct connection to the parking lots in the back. Also, one of the things that we've discovered over the last couple of years is that it's been very challenging to maintain the, the front landscaping owing to the lack of irrigation. So what this project provides for is some uh, very deep dry wells, which will infiltrate the runoff from the health department building, establishment of these ADA steps, uh, completed walkway connection to uh, Commerce Street, as well as installation of irrigation systems so we can maintain the landscaping of the courthouse through the hot summer months. Uh, we received the four bids for the project. You'll see <coughs> that uh, Unity Landscape Design Build out of Churchill, they're the low, low bidder in terms of the local vendor preference. They are, they did qualify as a local vendor being located here in Queen Anne's County. So what that did was it, uh, for the purpose of bid ranking, took 10% off of their bid for comparing bids, which put them just under Amacor Incorporated out of Delaware. Uh, you, you may note that the first and second bidders were very close, as were the third and the fourth. Uh, we did find that there was a relatively significant jump in the, to the tune of about $80,000 between the second and third bidders. Because we have a relationship, uh, having worked with these bidders before, I, I did reach out and, and speak with some of the other bidders and say, hey, what, what do you think? Do you think something was missed here? Uh, they were very kind and indicated that, no, those really are solid numbers, as was the situation before. Labor shortages are a constant concern. Based on the schedule for this, I would need to get some other exterior outside labor to help with this. That increased my cost as well as the installation of the dry wells, the BRS, for example, the third bidder, he did not have that equipment and would need to rent it. So he kindly advised that, you know, I, th I think the numbers that we're seeing are reliable. So with that being said, we recommend to you that uh, we proceed to award the contract to UNI Landscaping. And we've worked with them many, many times with the past, in the past with good, good experience, so. That was gonna be my question. All right. Any other questions? This stuff is mainly not landscaping in the normal public sense. What you're dealing with here is really, you know, the, the establishment of the dry wells, and uh, it's basically a really engineering drainage issue mm -hmm. rather than typical landscaping. It's not petunias and shrubs. Yeah. No, that, that's correct. And there will be a minor uh, revision to the landscaping in the front of the building with the installation, the irrigation system will allow us to better support the sod and everything up front. One of the, some of the feedback that uh, has been received regularly is though we put the seasonal plantings of the petunias out there and everything every year, some of the native plants that are in the bioretention areas tend to have a not very well manicured look. So what the plan does is it, it, it revises it somewhat so that we still have native plantings, that uh, the bioretentions are still there and doing their job. However, we've put some other plants in there that are more aesthetically pleasing. Correct, exactly. They lend themselves to a courthouse as well as the addition of a boxwood perimeter, which has very nice cues for the historic courthouse across the street. 
Thank you, sir. Any other questions? All those in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? 5-0, the motion carries. Thank you, commissioners. Thanks, guys. Okay, commissioners, if I can get you to convene as the roads board. Make a motion we convene as the roads board. Second. All in favor? Aye. 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 All right, we're roads. Okay, the first item on there is the roads division is requesting to purchase two Ford F-450 crew cab 4x4. If I can get a motion, please. I move to purchase two Ford F-450 crew cab 4x4 with dump body from Apple Ford of Columbia, Maryland in the amount of $203,420.40 via the Baltimore County contract number 00045004. Second. Commissioner Wilson, beat you to the same. Any discussion? That's an easy one. All in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? All right. Five. Thank you. Which carries. Thank you. Easy. Okay, commissioners, we can move to tab three action items. The first item we have is a proclamation for Black History Month. I'm not sure who wants to read it. I'll do it. Sure. Um, well, this is. Um, Should be one back. Phil. Tab three. Page one. Yes, the tab other three. Way. The other way, Phil. There it is. Okay. Um, Proclamation 22-13. Whereas February is recognized as Black History Month and the character counts pillar of the month is respect, the Queen Anne's County Commissioners and the Queen Anne's County Branch 7024 of the National Association of Advancement of Color People encourage all citizens to embrace both the celebration of Black History Month and the pillar of the month respect. Whereas Black History is pronounced... Uh, during the month of February, all citizens of Queen Anne's County are encouraged to celebrate and respect the many achievements and contributions that reflect the struggle of African Americans. And whereas all citizens of Queen Anne's County respect the founding principles of our nation, which states that people are created equal and diversity is celebrated as well as represented or respected. And whereas all citizens of Queen Anne's County make a concerned effort to pay homage to those who have paved the way and honor the sacrifices and achievements of African Americans who have contributed to the achievement of all Americans. And whereas the National Black History Month theme of 2022 is to focus on the mental health and wellness as a result of the pandemic, Queen Anne's County provides equitable resources for all citizens. And now therefore the Queen Anne's County Commissioners hereby proclaim February's Black History Month with a focus on character counts pillar of the month, respect for all citizens of Queen Anne's County, signed by the Queen Anne's County Commissioners. Thank you. Okay, Commissioners, item two, page two, is another proclamation. This is a pillar of the month, respect. Proclamation 22-11, pillar of the month for February, respect. Whereas the Commissioners of Queen Anne's County, at the request of its citizens, declared the county a character count community and whereas all citizens have been called upon to embrace the TRRFCC, better known as terrific, six pillars of character, trustworthiness, respect, responsibility, fairness, caring, and citizenship, and incorporate them into their daily activities and to model these traits of good character. And whereas the character counts pillar of the month for February is respect, and whereas all citizens will incorporate this value in their daily lives by being respectful, and whereas all citizens will follow the golden rule and treat others they and treat others the way that you would want them to be treated 
Oh, wow. <laughs> Treat others the way you would want to be treated. And whereas all citizens will be considerate of others' feelings, and whereas all citizens will be courteous and use good manners at all times, and whereas all citizens will be accepting of differences in a polite and kind way, whereas all citizens will deal peacefully with anger, insults, and disagreements, and stand together in unity. And now, therefore, we, the County Commissioners of Queen Anne's County, do designate Character Counts Pillar of the Month for February 2022 is Respect. Signed, the County Commissioners. You're going to sing the Respect song for us next? Mm. Just to... Oh, your voice is much better than mine. <laughs> it's... I had it queued up. There's <laughs> <laughs> the DJ in you. I had it queued up. Okay, item number three, page three, is, re is DES is requesting the approval to purchase a replacement animal control vehicle. If I could get a motion. I move to authorize Director of Department of Emergency Services to purchase a 2023 Chevy Silverado Piggy backing off the Maryland BPO from Airtrick Fleet Services for the amount of $31,391. Second. Got a motion with a second from Commissioner Moran. It's just a little bit faster than you. I know he's he's <laughs> quick. He's just fresh off vacation. Any uh, any questions? I just have one. When you say that this is going to be fully equipped response vehicle, what does that mean? <coughs> what tackle that one? Okay, this is a vehicle so, for Lori's division. So not a response in the respect of like an emergency response vehicle. Right. When I talk about a response vehicle for animal control, it is equipped with all the things that an animal control officer needs to perform their duties. Okay. So um, this would be for the chassis. There would be a box added to the back that would be more traditional um, than what we currently have. Um, and it would be better um, equipped for the animal control job. Which is um, transportive of animals. Transport of animals okay. to shelter um, and all the equipment that goes along with trapping um, and all of, all of those things. Gotcha. Okay. We have a variety of trailers that we have to haul. And how many of these vehicles do you have in your fleet right now? So we currently have four, um, two of the small transit box, like the small vans, um, which are, that's one of the ones that we're trying to replace because it, there's not a lot of room in there. Um, and they can't tow. And they, and they no can't tow. And they can't what? Can't tow. tow. So we have like oh, a horse okay. trailer. That okay. If we sure. need to trailer large animals, um, we would have to then swap vehicles okay. to do that. We inherited the two transits. We inherited all four of them, actually. <laughs> there was a reason you did. Any other questions? All in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? 5-0, motion carries. Thank you. Thank you. You guys have a good night. Thank you. Okay, next item is number four, page six. Uh, the Department of Parks and Recreation is requesting permission to amend the previous approved action item from November the 9th for Mowbray Park court um, work. Instead of refurbishing the court at Mowbray Park from three tennis, six pickleball, they are now requesting to refurbish with 10 pickleball courts. Can I get a motion, please? I move to authorize the Department of Parks and Recreation to amend the previous contract with ATC Corp to now refurbish the Marbury Park courts with 10 pickleball courts for an additional amount of $29,887. Second. All right, got a motion and a second. Do you have questions? No, I just have a comment. That's good stuff. It is. That's good stuff. I mean, obviously, you know, the pick the game of pickleball is is making a huge uh, move in this country. Um, and you know, we talk about 
you know, getting folks involved in outside exercises. And, and so kudos to your department for saying, hey, you know what, we can actually get 10 here. And then with the combination of lights, um, I, mean, I mean, they could play all night long in the summer. That's I mean, right. I mean, we can run it up to just like most of our other lights, we run until um, I think 1045, 10, 10 or 1045. Yeah, yeah. And it'll have safety lights as well just to get them to the parking lot because once the lights go out there, you know, we give a little bit of a grace period so people can get to There's been a huge safe. request and a big push. Yeah. And you guys have certainly answered that. Yeah. So great job. We'll get use from not only the county residents, but just other folks as well. And, you know, the ability of having 10 courts, you know, we'll be able to hold classes, you know, you could hold small tournaments and things like that. So it, you know, increases our programming, increases the exposure to the county as well. So, I mean, it's a, it's a great amenity to have. I, I didn't, I didn't, I have to confess, I didn't wait to see how the vote was going to go. Um, but I did leak it out to some folks and they're pretty excited. That's good. So where are we going to look up here in North County to get one? We, well, we do have um, courts up at Round Top. Uh, again, it's the shared court I'll with the tennis court. the lights court. in the hole, all the bells and whistles that we got up there. <laughs> we can do it. I just need your approval. <laughs> Find me a place. Bring it to me. Okay. We can do that. So to add on to that, Commissioner, I mean, excuse me, our County Executive Todd Mon and I went up to the YMCA and Chestertown, which is a very impressive facility, which I hope we will soon be mirroring. And in there, there are nine indoor courts, pickleball, filled with Queen Anne's County residents playing on their courts. And I told them, we need you to come back. <laughs> and, but within two years, because our contract now has them up and running in about two years or less now, we should have 10 indoors as well as that. Mowbray Park stuff. So, all good for pickleball. Very good. I have one thing, since we're on Mowbray, but not necessarily on this. So, so those who don't know, it's, it's named after Trooper Mowbray, who died in line of duty in 1975. Um, we, there is a plaque there, and there's um, sort of a little monument sort of thing there. We, we refresh the landscaping on that throughout the year. But I think that thing is looking kind of aged, and I want to tax you guys with coming up with uh, a proposal for some new monument for there for Trooper Mowry that will okay. be a little bit more pronounced so that people know who it's named after. Um, and I, I think most people go, they don't even see it. They don't realize it's a brick flower bed uh, with the plaque on it. I, I think it's, we can do something better. It's, it's served its purpose for a long time, but I think it's aging. And we should do something new for him. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right, back to the uh, pickleball courts. All in favor, say aye. 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 Any opposed? All right, 5-0, motion carries. Okay, number five, again, is Parks and Rec, and they're requesting um, lighting at Old Love Point uh, Tennis Court. I move to authorize the Department of Parks and Recreation to contract with Musco Lighting to install new tennis court lighting at Old Love Point Park for $140,000 and for $140,014. Second. Got a um, motion and a second. Any discussion? I, I, just a comment. I, I know that we for home football games at Kent Island High School in the past. Uh, there's a lot of folks that will park across the street at Love Point Park near the tennis courts um, and then walk across. And we've asked in the past that lights be turned on at the baseball diamond for security purposes and, and, and safety. And so um, this will have a, a, a double uh, usage in the fact that it's gonna light up that area 
uh, and make it safer for folks that are parking there and attending the right. athletic events across the street at the high school. Well, and also with the lights that we did earlier on the baseball field and the soccer field, um, safety lighting was installed um, on part of the parking lot. So as well. and the yeah. same thing will happen there. So you really won't need to turn on the field lights. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, there's enough lights coming off of the you know the safety lighting that's installed there to to accommodate the need there for the you know the football games and other activities. So did we did did we um, refresh my memory? Did we talk about lights at White Marsh? We did. In fact, they should be. Um, completed by the end of February. Okay, and those lights were for? On the Bermuda soccer fields. On the Bermuda soccer Bermuda fields. Soccer and anything in the future planned for the, the baseball diamonds? We have talked about that, and okay. again, it's just kind of meeting the need and making sure that, I think it's important that we, we begin to funnel enough baseball and softball up there uh -huh. to warrant the need for lights. It's a big investment, so you, know, you want to make sure that you know, it will be well utilized. And I think as, you know, as things are going, we're really swamped and in the county, especially on the, the southern end of the county, and we're trying to, you know, get people to slowly move up to the central and the north where there's other field availability too. Plus, we've got tournaments that have um, come in this year. We've got, I think, about eight different um, softball or baseball tournaments that are coming in this year. So build you know, it, as, as build people, it, and they will people come. See it, you know, see the improvement <laughs> in it. You see the the lights on it. You know, it, it makes so I can tell some folks that have inquired that that uh, it's on your radar. <clears throat> we would definitely like it to be. Okay. Do we have any issues with tournaments conflicting with the local usage? No, we make sure that they don't, that they're not bumping local users first. Um, and a lot of those local teams compete in the tournament anyway. Right. In fact, um, our, our uh, recreation division is actually putting our own, on our own baseball tournament for, um, is it 10 and under, 12 and under, and 13 and under this year. Um, so it'll be our first, you know, really foray into, you know, running a tournament and utilizing our fields and really taking advantage of what we have. And we've already put feelers out and we've got a couple of teams from, um, I think one or two from Delaware, if I'm not mistaken, that have already expressed interest into it. So um, keep our fingers crossed and hopefully we'll, you know, we'll fill up all the parks with, you know, good, you know, good young baseball uh, taking place. And I, now, did you guys are also taking over so softball from yeah. a Parks and Rec uh, standpoint, right? Uh, UQA softball. Um, that'll be falling up under us uh, this year. It'll also be a joint effort with Kent County because that's who they schedule with, as well as um, Kent Island softball. So we'll have basically like a three areas coming together, but it'll be administered um, through us. The upper Kent County, their recreation department is taking over there so it's it seemed like the three heads of those other department or divisions all kind of said you know i've done my time let's pass it on so kent county got it we got it kent island um softball and baseball are kind of hanging on kind of seeing how things go um but we're gonna you know put it out there and we'll run it and you know it's it's a good thing and that's how we've gotten a couple of leagues as i understand through through the past i think that's how uh, flag football came to us and it's the right avenue to, to bring it in through the department. All right. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? 5-0. Motion carries. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Okay, commissioners. Item number six, page 15, is a request, a signature request for Mattapique Industrial Park grant. I'm get a motion. I'm sorry. Yeah, I move to approve and sign semi-annual progress report presented 
for the Community Development Block Grant number MD-11-ED-70 regarding Mattapique Industrial Park covering the time period July 1, 2021 until December 3, 1, 2021. Second. All right, motion and a second. How many more do we need, Heather? <laughs> well, uh, if you look at the, the actual grant report, hour. we're at 50. Um, we have 42 new full-time jobs and 57 total jobs. So, so some of those are part-time. Uh, the, the goal is to get to 66 low to moderate income right. jobs and 130 overall. Once Miltech actually moves forward and moves, there. we'll be good. fine. Okay, good. And they did extend our, our timeline until uh, next year sometime. So they are working with us as long as we're reporting and we're, you know, we're trying. And it, each time I get reports, you know, it's five to ten new jobs. So yeah. it's piddly, but it's, it's happening. It was so funny when I went through this years ago when I first started one of the things. And the fact is the state never put a expiration on it. They, they kind of did. Yeah, they, did. They, they Well, they came it. back and did. When <laughs> yeah. they realized their error, they were like, wait a minute, we can't have this. Yeah. Well, we did the same thing when we sold that property to Miltech. No, I, I yeah. get it. Yeah, no, it's, okay. yeah. So yeah. hopefully they'll decide to move soon. We did talk to them during this last time when we renegotiated this for an extension. And, you know, during COVID, a lot of their work was <coughs> right. with uh, china i believe and they were having um supply issues and they have a patent that was pending and all that kind of halted but they did say they still have the plan to move forward it's just delayed be nice to get that one done yeah absolutely be done with that one yep all in favor say aye aye, aye. aye. any opposed four in favor and one absent absent okay item number seven Excuse me, page 19 is from the economic development um, request for a DHCD community safety grant in the amount of $100,000. Can I get a motion? I move to support Queen Anne's County Economic and Tourism Development in the DHCD Community Safety Works grant application on behalf of the Stevensville Arts and Entertainment District. Second. All right, we got a motion and a second. What is it? Uh, it is a DHCD grant and it's called um, Community Safety Works Business District Improvements. And at first when I looked at it, I'm like, really, do we do we need this? Is it do we have any communities that um, qualify for this? And you may or may not know, but we're the ma management ent entity for the Stevensville A&E District. And Katie, who works with our office, has been working really closely with them to develop their programming. And one of the issues that they have seen recently is a need for traffic mitigation. If you think about the traffic coming around that corner, mm -hmm. and we have seen some activity. You know, we have a, a couple great um, restaurants down there, and shops, and Tasty Toucan, and can in the summertime you see people all around. So they uh, found a need for that, and it's been a great collaborative effort. We've had Department of um, our local uh, planning and permitting involved. Steve Cahoon came out. Nancy from Parks all came together and worked on this project and looked for some ways to mitigate that traffic. And um, they were able to come up with some solutions and pricing and um, some installation of art, that sort of thing. So I think it's kind of a cool. So, so how much of an area is it encompassing? It's, so you're not redoing the sidewalks all through, right? No, it's just going to no, be in that. No, it's a certain little... area that we. It's a county right away that we can do that, and then we're going to work hopefully with the state highway administration on that. To crosswalk. clean up some of the other ones. Okay. Yeah. Very good. All right. All in favor, say aye. 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 Any opposed? 
Thank you, Jody. That was an aye. That was an aye. All right. Five in favor. Okay. The next is um, item eight, page 24. It's a thank you letter to Mr. Sheets for the 1877 Kent and Queen Anne's Atlas. I move to execute the letter to Mr. Everett Sheets for the gifted 1877 Kent and Queen Anne's County Atlas. Second. We got a motion to second. Any discussion? Very cool. Yeah, Watch if you haven't seen it, we're uh, actually Margie's going to be looking to see if there's somebody who can <clears throat> scan the atlas mm -hmm. so that we'll be able to have it on the website for yeah. the public to see. But it's really neat showing uh, Kent and Queen Anne's County the maps of how everything was back in 1877. And you'll, what's really neat is looking at some of the farmlands and some of the names that you yeah. see there yeah. are people whose descendants you know today. So yeah. it's it's really cool. Which uh, I found out today through reading that Caroline was a product of Queen Anne's in Dorchester. Really? Pieces of each were made to create Caroline County. Taken. Maybe we'll start a war. So we could just take it back. back. Is that, I yeah. thought we just take it back if we want. Or... Got Caroline's own little Ukraine here. What That's you right. <laughs> Mounting on the border there. Maybe we All can right. succeed from the other side, huh? All those in. We, do we vote? I remember no, we didn't. All in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? I'm named in that book. <laughs> There's a picture of oh, a young Stevie author, Wilson right? in there. <laughs> a young Stevie Wilson in there? <laughs> Okay, our last item is number nine. It's on page 25, and it's the 18th Annual Awards Gala and Teacher of the Year. Um, they're requesting a sponsorship. Uh, last year we did platinum level, which was $1,000. Move to sponsor QACPD Annual Awards Gala at the platinum level in the amount of $1,000. Correction, uh, Board of Ed. What did I say? No, you said, you said what was written. Mm -hmm. QACPS. Somebody put PD in there, but that's you second. second. Yeah, that, second. Commissioner Rand seconds. All in favor? Aye. Aye. And that was for the platinum sponsorship, correct? And I, I nominate Commissioner Dumanel to attend on behalf of the commissioners. Very well. Second. All in favor? Aye. All right, there you go. Now it's in order. <laughs> okay, commissioners, the next thing on our agenda is tab seven, legislative. The first item that you can vote on is County Ordinance 2111, which is um, establishing the community cap program in Queen Anne's County, adopting a trap, neuter, return policy for community cats. Motion to adopt 2111. Second. Motion to second. Any more discussion on this one? All in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? Okay, 5-0. Motion carries. Okay. And then our last item is County Ordinance 2201, and that's our public facility bond authorization of 2022. Motion to approve 22-01. Second. second. All right, we've got a motion and a second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. All right, five passes. Okay, and I assume that no one signed up, Sherry. All right, is there anybody online? All right, we're in our second uh, pressing public comment. No one signed up, but if anybody in the room wanted to speak, let us know. All right, we'll go to roundtable. Commissioner Wilson. Yes, yeah, so since Inga said, I just wanted to let you know that uh, Ziva is doing great. She's adopted and, and adapted to the uh, my wood shop quite well. So that's just the proof that girl can be tamed. Yeah, and the, the wife's very patient. So. Um, <laughs> She'll be with you a while. <laughs> actually, I, I, I really just wanted, and Scott uh, gave the opportunity to bring up Senate Bill 295. I think that's uh, great for uh, Queen Anne's County, actually all the counties. And, and 
kudos to Carroll County and Washington County for being the ones that spearheaded getting that uh, put in this year. Um, it's been on the table two years, but it looks like this year it's got the legs to make it through. And like I said, you heard, I mean, million dollars that we can't recoup a year um, for medical services. And if you think about it, we're being penalized because we're actually going out and doing the care on site. So people don't have to, uh, loved ones don't have to go to the hospital, visit their family because they got transported to the hospital or figure out where to take the kids because they're going to the hospital. You know, we're really doing better, but we're actually being penalized for doing it. Um, and you were seeing a lot of uh, ambulance services going ahead and transporting because they knew that's the only way they're going to get paid for the services. So this gets rid of a lot of that. And, uh, and keeps ambulances in service exactly. longer. Yeah they're, yeah, they're not crossing the bridge. They're staying on this side of the bridge. Yep. Uh, they're yep. back, back in service. If there's not so. a bed available, the ambulance sometimes has to stand there in the bay and wait. Yep. So, so their patient can be offloaded into a bed and and that keeps uh, an ambulance out of service that you know could be used over here so absolutely this is good stuff it is absolutely so that's all i got all right commissioner Dimino. um so one of the one of the opportunities that we get um that i often look forward to um is being invited to the uh in, uh, induction ceremonies of our volunteer fire services so we have nine firehouses uh <clears throat> here in Queen Anne's County and each year they uh, induct the new officers um, and then there's a swearing, swearing in ceremony that takes place uh, and then um, awards for the number of calls that our volunteers responded on um, there's all kinds of different things that take place to to show appreciation for our volunteer firefighters um, here in Queen Anne's County we're very fortunate that we have such amazing volunteers that uh, will respond um, to a working fire or a car accident and do it so unselfishly. Um, so I had an opportunity to attend um, Graysonville's last Saturday and then this or the two Saturdays ago and this past Saturday um, United Communities down um, in uh, Station 9 down in the end of uh, Route 8. So uh, a, a great opportunity um, for the commissioners to uh, show their appreciation and support and our, our citizens to be thankful for the fact that we do have these men and women that do respond. Um, <clears throat> and then, of course, Saturday is um, Ken Islands. Mm -hmm. So we had a few this year that uh, kept it as members only. Yeah, so. because of COVID. COVID. Yep. And United Communities hit an important milestone. Big, yeah, big it's their 50th anniversary, anniversary yeah. for them. So if you think about it, uh, 50 years for a volunteer firehouse to be running an operation down there at the end of Route 8, um, and the number of calls that they go on and the number of firefighters that respond to those calls, you know, we take it for granted. I think uh, there's some pretty crazy numbers out there that have been uh, shared if we had to go to a career paid service and, and the, the cost to do so is just enormous what's the latest number 19 million, 19 million. i mean that's right. if we had to uh, uh, absorb that cost it, i mean i can't even fathom yes what I mean, we'd have to do to be able to cover it, that so it's either doing their chicken bake or their yeah, yeah. exactly go and slide do it. over spend your 275 on a quarter they're chicken selling and, chicken or yeah. barbecues or you know or spaghetti dinners whatever they're doing you know those are great ways to support our volunteer fire services Absolutely. that's all i have all right Commissioner Wilson. Ooh. Uh, so, County Administrator Mon and I were in Chestertown in the last few days and did a tour of the uh, YMCA up there and then proceeded on to talk to the 
Kent County government about maintenance or the recovery of the uh, Witsit Center, which is under threat because the state health authorities who have funded it are considering dropping it, and we are marvelously short of <coughs> mental health, and we really cannot afford to have that thing dropped off the list. So we are going to try to combine with five Eastern Shore counties and we're looking at the budgets right now and trying to see what we got to do to keep that thing running because we wind up with a lot of kids getting knocked out of uh, court right straight into jail. And if we could put them in rehab and give them some sort of easement that way, it would sure work a lot better for them and the general public to, to have that rehab facility continue to run it. It's got a hundred beds and right now there are only 20 of them used. They're trying to get it back up to 30 or 40, but the state's being very tough on funding. We're going to work to try to bring together the five counties in a coalition so that we can make this thing continue to happen. So I think that's something we want to really put. We've talked to lobbyist Berriano, ransom all our medical people to try to help help keep that going. So that's just something to put on our list. That's it, sir. All right. <coughs> and I'm going to piggyback off that, of the, you know, as liaison to the drug-free coalition, that is number one priority, to make sure that we yeah. don't lose those beds because we don't have them. And uh, the talk's always been with the settlement, uh, if and when the settlement ever comes with, with Big Pharma over the uh, opioid crisis, that's where the money would be spent is to somehow get that up and independent and running and, and uh, service yeah. the, the Eastern Shore. So that's a huge one. So I hope, thank you for jumping on that and making those contacts. Um, Real quick, Jim, while you're on that, though, is the opioids was the conversation was more around capital expenses needed to bring it up to, right? Because I, I don't think, because the opioid settlement would run out and it would still be an operational Right, that's issue, what I'm saying. Right? You, we have to get it to get it, This would kickstart it. You need to bring then. an organization in that can run it daily right. and okay. turn a profit and give them, you know, hopefully right. the, the, the Start on level ground to, to make sure that the, you know, that it instill that it runs for years to come. So right. yes, gotcha. that's that's okay. the whole thing there. All right. uh, no, and no startup costs for them. Correct. Well, we'll see. We'll just see how you know how this all works out. Uh, the second thing I'd like to talk about is our our park service. I, I am fortunate there to, Steve, you handed that ball off to me uh, as the liaison there, and uh, I, that's been one of my pet peeves. Uh, our parks. And anybody that's used our parks in the last four to five years, uh, four years ago, everything was gravel uh, between the parking lot, the fields. I mean, we have the county has spent a lot of money and a lot of time and effort. And I want to just say thank you to the parks department members and the staff that works out there because uh, it really is shining up nicely. I mean, it just I think that we deserve and when I say we, the, the citizens and the kids of Queen Anne's County deserve these upgraded facilities. And I think there's more to come. I mean, this this group of five right here, you know, the turf fields. We started with the turf fields, the paving, the repaving of the Cross Island Trail, the Cross Island 1.1 miles of, of uh, decking alone took over seven, eight years just to get the permits and get the funding for it. So, you know, uh, there's other things in works. Just like you said, the North County. He says you know, he just takes the votes. And you know the, the the PRAB members, the members that are on that board, are constantly looking at different things that we can do. And an indoor facility is probably one of the first and foremost that we need, because our youth basketball program is the largest largest program we have in Queen Anne's County for our kids. 
And you know, it's like over 680 participants. I think it's 700 now. It's over 700. But we have to move them into schools and all over the place where, you know, we own property in some locations and we may be doing a feasibility study on that just to get the inboard, inboard, indoor courts and something that we own that, that we can use and facilitate year round. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of good things going on there, and especially in Queen Anne's County. And the last thing I want to talk about is what's my favorite subject, Jack? The Bay the Bridge. Bridge. The Bay Bridge. Okay. So, you know, as anybody that crosses that bridge has noticed, uh, all the new uh, stanchions going up and, and uh, the, the message boards, uh, the gate system. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm not a betting man, but I would say by uh, Memorial Day, the automated gate systems will be in place and, and will be moving traffic back and forth. And that, that process is going to save 20 to 25 minutes from the, the, st uh, the bridge authority saying, okay, we're going to go into ContraFlow. Now let's turn the lights on, you know, the arrows on red here and then move the cones. It'll be a push of a button. The lights will change. The indicators will change on what lanes are closed, which lanes are open and gates will slowly move out there to move the traffic. So it's much safer. And hopefully that'll help us because in the past, if you're coming home on a Friday evening and a lot of us up here do, and it starts to rain, ContraFlow ends. And in the past, it would be ContraFlow, not only does it end, they don't start it back up again until the following morning or later that evening, even if the rain stops. This will allow them, the minute the rain stops, the radar looks good, is to open that traffic. And, you know, that's, that's a, one of the things we're looking forward to in helping with some of the traffic congestion is the speed in which we can open and close ContraFlow because, you know, there'll be times where, you know, you would, you would expect the traffic to be heavier eastbound and it's westbound. The, the state looks at that, how far the backup is. And again, it's a push of a button. It's a safe and it's a, and a more efficient way to do this. So I'm, I'm looking forward for that system to come online. And lastly, I'm going to throw some kudos out to our friends in the corner back here, QAC TV. They have been working on an informational uh, segment to the Bay Bridge and what's coming with a replacement bridge. And we're not done yet, but we're getting real close. And uh, the, the commissioners here will, will review it and, and approve it. And then we're going to put it out to the public. And it's got really you know, a lot. It, I think it answers the most pressing questions when somebody knows that we're talking about another bridge, a replacement bridge here in Queen Anne's County. And you'll hear, you know, why here? You know, we don't need more traffic, all these. And this, you know, basically dispels some of these uh, myths and and puts the facts in front of you and to see that it, 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 it truly is the only place to put it because of the age of these bridges and, and the fact that we have to do contraflow, which is the most dangerous thing that you can do on a bridge, not a, let alone a bridge that's over 4.2 miles long. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to this because it, it, it will answer a lot of the public's questions, you know, and and finally, I will say that uh, County Administrator Todd Mon, the beautiful Todd Mon here, um, <laughs> Uh, you know, we, we have been working with other counties on the Eastern Shore, as you know, or may not know, Queen Anne's County did a resolution for a replacement bridge. And Anne Arundel County signed on and did the same resolution for a replacement bridge. And now we have Kent, uh, we're working on Caroline, uh, we have Dorchester, Wicomico, uh, and we, Talbot, and we're working on all the Eastern Shore counties to sign on because strength in numbers. If we can get the support of all the Eastern Shore counties, we're in phase one of this NEPA study that they're doing for the bridge, phase two. Phase one becomes official supposedly on March 14th. The federal government will come out and say, okay, here's the selection. 
where the two bridges are, and then immediately we have to get into phase two, which is approximately $55, $52 million, and we need to fund that. And with the support of all the Eastern Shore counties and some Western Shore counties, Garrett County, that was the other one. And Carroll County signed on, I think. Uh, okay, good. That's, that's what I'm saying. So, you know, the more we have, the better it is, and to keep this project moving forward because I don't want to be sitting up here or sitting in my truck in 10 years from now waiting for them to decide to build another bridge you know, a replacement bridge with the age of what's existing. And on that, esteemed. All right, thank you. Sir, before we yeah. go back go to, to the Gates thing. Yes. That has puzzled me as I've driven by them for the last uh -huh. three months as they're building them. Uh -huh. How do you slow down 65 mile per hour traffic with that? They just slam open in the first five like in front pong. are just done or what? Yeah. Well, the, 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 the indicator lights. Uh, How far back are they? I guess. They go all the way to McDonald's. So as you're, as you're going, when you, as you're going uh, westbound, Okay. All the way back to Castle Marina. Once you pass Castle Marina on Route 50, you'll come across the first one. So that's the new uh, stanchions they got up over top. Correct. That's going to be the lights. Okay. That's going to be the lights that tells you which lanes open, which lanes close. Gotcha. And those gates swing. So if you notice, the gates are very close to each other. Right. Because the first gate will only block one lane, and they can keep it closed. The second gate can open and block two lanes. Okay. And it's that's why it's on both sides because when they do their construction at night and work at night. You'll be weaving in and out of these to, to move you in which bridge they want and in which lane they want you in. So, uh, you know, and they're plastic. Those those pieces, you know, so if you run into them, it's going to ruin your paint. But, yeah. you know, hopefully they, they, they've got them up there in, in the Baltimore Harbor Tunnel uh, on the Virginia north side. Too. I've just never seen them operate. I've right. never been through when they've yeah. operated. Nighttime. That's why. Because they, they're running out of nighttime when they do the work inside the tunnels. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. I want to double dip in the conversation Go a bit here. Yeah. Uh, on the subject of the bridge, mm -hmm. I am, as you guys know, the fellow commissioner with Commissioner Moran on the mm -hmm. Bragg Committee, and I think a thing that we ought to ask our administrator to do is to get the accident data out of that, out of the uh, bridge folks, because the protocols that they run the contraflow on are controlled by that data, and mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of questionable data in that, and I think that'd be a good thing for us to. I agree, and, and I did ask that, and we did get a report, but what you're being more specific, you're talking about wind and rain. I'm talking yeah. about wind rain. I want to know the accident rate yeah. and rain. I want mm -hmm. to know, you know, when they varied the speed, what the mm -hmm. incidence of accident was, because there are things like rain. I once saw some accident data, and there was no greater incidence of accidents in rain mm -hmm. than there wasn't. So why mm -hmm. are they forbidding, particularly in mm -hmm. light rain, mm -hmm. and also... Yes. The wind issue, if the wind is head on the bridge, it has no material effect. Is there any, you know, mediation of what kind of wind we're talking? Because this is key if we got 15 years to live yeah. with that miserable mm -hmm. bridge. And that's, and we put that to them in the last Bragg meeting. Yeah. And I'll, I can bring the minutes in and show you. We asked for, it's an anonymous. Yeah. Yes. And we asked for them to put live on their website. Yeah. Said, you know, can you put this on your website? So that you and I, whoever's traveling the bridge and coming home, and he know there's wind, because it's certain winds, that's when they put certain protocols. Yeah, you know, no empty trailers, no contraflow, right. then you slow down, everything else. And I said, all you have to do is on your website, anybody goes to their website and looks at the cameras, they want to see how far the backup is, you'd see down a little corner, a little arrow, where the wind's coming from and, and how, how fast. fast it's going. And what's crazy is, sometimes he and I have, you know, the bridge is closed with 40 mile an hour wind, mm -hmm. and the airport right next to it, which has an anemometer, mm -hmm. we go down there and it's blowing eight. Yeah. Please. Yeah, well, and I, I, 
read the minutes. I, mean, I, I don't disagree with you. I, you know, I, I, you know how I feel about that. So it, it is, it is, it's a, it's not a race. It's a slow crawl, you know, to, to whittle away and get certain things. And, and we are constantly doing that. So we've asked about that and numerous other things. And as far as accidents, I will tell you that the Bay Bridge, that segment, if we take just five miles of the Bay Bridge, you can take five miles of the, of the Baltimore Beltway. We do have on average, a little bit less in accidents, maybe four to 6% less accidents per the stretch of miles per time. But what we do have that's much worse is we don't have any other routes. And you know, you have an accident on the beltway, you get off at a ramp, you go down to the light, turn left, you go over two streets, you get back up on the beltway. You don't have it on the bridge and we don't have shoulders. So the intensity of the accidents and the delays that it builds are much worse than it is on the beltway. So, so but they have, they have the data. It's the only data they won't give is on on uh, suicides, right. you're just just not yeah. going to get that. So but, these uh, are mainly rear enders because oh, of yeah. the stop and go, and yeah. you know the less stops we get, the less we get mm -hmm. accidents. So it's yeah. you know. Yep, very much, very good. All right. Thank you. And, and we can't overlook the uh, the danger of the aging infrastructure. Absolutely. As we saw what happened in Pittsburgh recently with the bridge collapsing. Yes. I mean, you know, Pittsburgh, so many, Minnesota, you name it. Those yeah. the bridges are old mm -hmm. that we have here, and yep. so something has to get done. Um, public service announcement again, uh, fellas, Valentine's Day is Monday. <laughs> don't forget, or if you do, don't go home. Um, we just got these challenge coins that were sent to us for firefighters, volunteer firefighters who uh, lost their lives serving citizens of Queen Anne's County. So I just want to take a minute to just call them out so we can remember them. Uh, Chief David M. Brinkley from the United Communities Volunteer Fire Department. His final call was September 21st, 1998. Chief William Douglas Dougie Thomas from the Kent Island Volunteer Fire Department. Uh, his final call was July 9th, 2003. Uh, Chief Charles F. Buck Cloud Jr. from the Southersville Volunteer Fire Company. His final call was April 15th, 2009. And Assistant Chief Danny Lister, uh, Queen, Anne's, Queen Anne Hillsborough Volunteer Fire Company. Final call on September 1st, 2018. So remember, these are your neighbors who volunteer and risk their lives to, you know, save you if there's a car accident in one of your house, if there's a fire. It's, it can't be like, you know, overstated how important um, their role is. So with that, I'll entertain a motion to adjourn. So moved. Second. All in favor? Boom. Aye. All right, thank you. You have been watching the Queen Anne's County Commissioner's Meeting. Thanks for joining us tonight. This program is brought to you by QAC-TV. QAC-TV are these people right here. And these people right here would love to thank you again for your continued support. Please check us out on Facebook, YouTube, like, subscribe, notifications, all that good stuff. And we'll see you at the next commissioner's meeting.